And here is what uh, the Bible says. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool, in Aramaic, called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and, and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. Just a word of explanation. Their view was that uh, they wanted to be near this pool, and they felt that there was a, a, an angel uh, that, that would come, stir up the water, and when they would see the water stirred, they felt the first one in uh, would be healed. And so that's what he's referring to. He, he wasn't quick enough. He was an invalid, and he didn't have anyone to help him down there. So that's what he's saying there. And so uh, while I'm going, another steps down before me. Verse 8, Jesus said to him, get up and take your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, thank you for... Um, um, causing this passage to be preserved so we could read it today, we could recount what took place. But it's there because you want us to, to learn from it, not just information, but to learn of you. And so that would be our plea today, that you would be our teacher. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, we've got two, two big old issues here in this passage, and we're going we're gonna to look at both of them and then 
hopefully bring them together, see what, how they relate with one another. But the first one, obviously, is that uh, it has to do with uh, healing. So let, let's take a look at this. When we, when we think about healing, one question someone could have is, so what's the purpose? Now you might say, well, what in the world are you talking about? What do you mean, what's the purpose of healing? It seems obvious, doesn't it? The purpose of healing is that the person will, will get better from whatever his affliction is. But think about that. Is that really the total purpose? Because, look, in the best of circumstances, when someone is healed, they're going to get sick again either with that affliction or with some other affliction, and they're eventually going to die. So is that all it is, to put off the inevitable? Is that why Jesus healed? Well, there's no question that it's, it's an act of mercy when God chooses to heal. It was when Jesus chose to heal. But there's a bigger purpose than just making someone feel better. So let's, uh, let, let's take a, a look at this. The, the first aspect is that it is, it is absolutely, healing is for the glory of God. Verse 17, Jesus answered him, my father is working until now and I am working it was not to glorify a person, not even the healer. In fact, attention uh, was drawn not just to the messenger, but to the message itself. So it's for the glory of God, and it is for the purpose of drawing attention to and attesting to the teaching of Jesus. So when Jesus heals, there's always a reason for it. Uh, it, it, it when a healing happens, uh, it was so that people would perk up, notice, but not just so they'd all give high fives and say, wow, we're, we're healed, we're doing good now, everything's fine, but so that it, it's like a good introduction to a, a sermon or a teaching that that would draw attention and then affirm who the one teaching is. So we need to understand, though, that healing in and of itself was never enough to cause repentance. It was never enough to bring salvation. But the message that it drew attention to, that's, that's where the ultimate healing comes. So it's for the glory of God. It's drawing attention to and attesting to his teaching. And uh, it also pointed toward a spiritual healing. Look at verse 14. It says, Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Now, don't, don't make the mistake of thinking what he's saying. Quit, 
quit sinning so you don't get paralyzed again or something like that. He's not saying that. He's saying that, that what sin brings about is way worse than anything you ever have experienced. And that's why there must be uh, repentance. So his, his emphasis there is on the, the spiritual end. While they have every reason to rejoice on the, the physical end, uh, it always pointed to something much greater. Now let, let's look at the nature of healing. Uh, C.S. Lewis, and, and we're not going to do this every time we hit a healing in John, uh, but we, we looked at this when we were going through the book of Acts uh, before the, the, the first healing, and, and so we're going to lay down these principles and uh, just touch on them because we've hit these before. But C.S. Lewis called miracles an interference with, the, with nature by a supernatural power. So Lewis's definition is that, that uh, a miracle basically interrupts the way something would naturally go. And that's the case with healing. That it would naturally go in a, in a negative way. A healing interrupts that and changes the direction either uh, totally the other way or another direction. Um, here's the issue. If you go home today, you can find a TV channel where you can turn it on and you can see faith healers doing something. <laughs> right? You know. You, you maybe even know the, the channel. Maybe you watch it. I'm not rebuking you for that. But I want you to, to put it into context and understand that what we're seeing on TV or maybe you've seen it in person is not really biblical healing in the sense of what we see in the Gospels and in the book of Acts, in the New Testament with healing. I want to give you some some principles of the nature of biblical healing. We're just going to touch on them um, quickly uh, because we can see them even in this passage. So biblical healing is of an organic illness, uh, verse 5. And by the way, these, these are not original with me. Uh, John MacArthur uh, put these together, and I think they're a good uh, summary of principles pertaining to healing. So I want to give him uh, credit for that. He makes distinctions between uh, biblical healing and much of what we, we see today. Uh, so biblical healing is of an organic illness. Uh, verse 5, I'm going to explain that. Uh, one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Now, here's what we can know about that. He wasn't faking it right? If he's an invalid for 38 years, everybody knew that, uh, and that's what we mean by an or organic illness. It's something that is uh, a visible and obvious disease. It's not lower back pain, heart palpitation, headaches, 
or other invisible ailments. And I'm not saying those aren't real ailments. They are. But what I'm saying is those aren't observable. And, and if you have those ailments, you know that. Someone might say, well, you're looking good and your, your head's about to explode or your back is, you know, falling apart. And so biblical healing is of organic illnesses. Um, and secondly, biblical healing is by a word or touch. Verse 8, Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed, and walk. It's a personal word or touch, probably not through the airwaves. Like every healing that uh, Jesus did, and this is with the next point, there was no progression, no talk of recurring symptoms or slow improvement. It was instantaneous. That's the next principle. An organic illness, by a word or touch, instantaneous. Um, verse 9, it's, it says this, And at once the man was healed. So Jesus speaks, the man is healed, and he took up his bed and walked. There's no need for therapy, no extra rehabilitation. He was healed instantly from a lifetime of lameness. Now look, I can, if for some reason I'm sitting on the floor for any length of time, you know where I'm going with this. <laughs> and I get up. It takes me a while to straighten up. Let me just put it that way. And then my plantar fasciitis kicks in, and I limp for a little while before, before I'm, I'm walking good. There's none of that with, with when Jesus heals. Get up, take your mat. He, you know, there's, there's no uh, saying that because his legs were atrophied because he hadn't used them in 38 years that he could barely stand, but eventually he got his strength back. There's none of that. It is, boom, instantaneous, Je just like creation. Jesus speaks, and it happens. That's, that's the nature of biblical healing. And it is total. Verse 9 again, at once the man was healed, he took up his bed and walked. So, and then finally, biblical healing is able to be affirmed by others. Uh, look at verse 10. So the Jews said to the, the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. So the Jews saw this. They knew he'd been healed. But he answered them, the man who helped me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said that to you? Take up your bed and walk. They're, they had no question that he was actually healed. They saw it. They had, uh, in all probability, seen him sitting there by the pool day after day. They knew it. It was affirmed by them as well as by the man 
himself. He didn't know, at least uh, unless, uh, it's hard to know whether this was from birth or just for the last 38 years. In any case, he, he wouldn't even remember what it would feel like to walk. But instantly, he was walking and carrying something as well. So there's the healing aspect, but you see that immediately there's this healing, and then what do, what do the Jews do? They're upset. Well, that's all, that's all well and good. You're better, good. You're walking, you're carrying your mat, but, but look, he did this on the Sabbath. So there was, there was this huge issue in their mind. So let's take a look uh, at that part of it. Verse 9, uh, at once the man was healed, he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath, and of course that's already, uh, you know, in the gospel. It's pointed out. Uh, don't think this wasn't deliberate. It wasn't like Jesus said, oh, I forgot it was the Sabbath. He did this. Uh, every, everything he did was uh, at the right time and in the right way. And that included this. Now, that day was the Sabbath, so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it's a Sabbath and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed, because that would have been working, right? They weren't supposed to work. And then down in verse 16, and this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. They didn't care what he was doing, but he was doing things on the Sabbath. Jesus answered them, my father's working until now, and I'm working. That's why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God, which, by the way, we'll be looking at more next week, because the whole next section talks about that portion. But let's talk about the Sabbath. In your outline in uh, the worship guide, I, I put a, a number of passages. This is for you to have and look at. Uh, we won't have time to develop these today, uh, but I do want to list the pertinent principles pertaining to the Sabbath. What are, what are the issues? We need to understand, first of all, that the Sabbath is a gift from God. You go back to the, the Old Testament. Of course, it's in the Ten Commandments. It is a command. But in Exodus 16, we see this account where God is providing manna for the people. Manna, bread, some kind of bread-like thing every day. And he said, there's going to be enough for you to eat just for that day to teach them about how uh, God provides for our daily bread and, and so on. But then he said, but the Sabbath is coming, and I'm gonna, I, I want you to go out and collect enough. And, and by the way, if, if they tried to hoard it and not trust God that there'd be enough, then it would get wormy and stinky. I know that's not that appetizing right now before lunch, but what, whatever it was w would then be unedible. Well, he said, okay, but tomorrow's the Sabbath. I'm going to provide for you today 
two days' worth. Go out, you can cook it and, 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 or bake it or however you're, you're making it, and uh, it won't be wormy and stinky. And so what happened was that that, in fact, happened the day before the Sabbath. They had enough for two days. But Sabbath came, and some went out anyway, and they didn't find anything. So uh, that's when, uh, this is back in Exodus 16, I'll just read it to you. The Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath, therefore, on the sixth day he gave you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. This was not to burden them, but it was a wonderful gift where they didn't have to worry about going out and collecting and, and cooking and all of that. And God was, was showing them and showing us that when we do things his way, trusting him, he is absolutely the provider. Too often people think that, that the law of God is a burden from God. It's only a burden if you're trying to work your way to heaven by keeping the law. Then it is a burden. But then it points you to Christ. But once you're in Christ, then the law of God is a gift to you. And you'll be blessed if you keep it. So, what are we to fill the Sabbath day with in terms of understanding the Sabbath? Well, the question we have to answer first is... Uh, uh, when is the Sabbath? Because that will not only uh, tell us when we should celebrate it, but it will also uh, tell us what we ought to be doing. Is the Sabbath Saturday or Sunday? In the Old Testament, the Sabbath was Saturday. In the New Testament, and since then, it was practiced on Sunday. Why? Well, um, again, in your outline, you can see Acts 20. Uh, it, 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 these talk about the practice of the early church. Acts 20, verse 7, on the first day of the week when we were gathered together to break bread, to take the Lord's Supper, the, not, the, not the last day of the week, not Saturday, on the first day of the week, which is Sunday. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I, when I come. So there were collections taken. See, the offering is biblical. <laughs> when we get together on the Lord's Day. And uh, that's when it was. And you, you just heard me use the term the Lord's Day. In Revelation 1, verse 10, it says, on the Lord's day. So it's, it's really interchangeable. You can use the term the, the Christian Sabbath or the Lord's day, either one. Why did they change it, though? Where, where's a command to change it? Well, we have their practice, but the reason is because of the resurrection. That's what took place. That's what changed everything. 
And so we still should keep the Sabbath principles, but now we do them in the light of the resurrection. So in the Old Testament, the Sabbath celebrated creation. Rest after all of creation. In the New Testament, the Lord's Day celebrates his new creation, redemption through the resurrection of Christ. That's why we celebrate on the first day of the week. And we will do that until Jesus comes. Thirdly, in terms of the Sabbath, it is an opportunity for rest. Exodus 20, six days you shall labor and do all your work. The seventh day is a Sabbath. Now, in the, in the world that we live in, especially in our country, uh, resting from work on the Lord's Day gives us the opportunity to testify to your neighbors and to the world around us that there's something different. Why is it different? Because it's the Lord's Day. It is a Sabbath gift that He has given to us. We live in a world that is so self-reliant and makes all their decisions based on what pleases me. And on that day, He gives us the opportunity to worship, to rest, and there are some other things we'll mention in a moment. Um, this is just my practice, and I'm not telling you, you you have to do this practice, but I, I choose to uh, mow my lawn before Sunday. And I don't mind mowing the grass, but uh, and a lot of my neighbors do it on Sunday. I'm not offended by that. It's not a law that you can't. But I do it earlier than Sunday so I can just enjoy it on the Lord's Day. And it's, it's a tiny thing, but it's one less burden that I have to, to think about on the Lord's Day. There's a, a fourth principle, and that is that uh, it's an opportunity to do that which is necessary. You can look up the Luke 6 passage uh, later where it talks about eating and, and so on. Our Westminster Confession of Faith um, talks about works of necessity and how those are appropriate to do on the Lord's day. Now, works of necessity, some of the, the easy ones to think about would be uh, doctors, nurses, medical people. They can't just go home from the hospital and say, ah, sorry, it's the Lord's day, can't work. It's a work of necessity. Firemen, policemen, we, we hire uh, a police officer every week here. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful that, uh, that they are willing to work. And by the way, I heard again today what a wonderful congregation you are to our police officers they, um, I, I've heard this before, how appreciative everyone is and how friendly and welcoming. Thank you for that. I, I'm not a bit surprised, but it's great to hear from them unsolicited. 
But those are, those are things we would call works of necessity. In Mark 2.27, Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the confession of faith calls those works of necessity. So on the Lord's Day, on the Sabbath, in the Christian Sabbath, we have worship. That's, that's always the highest priority. And uh, we have rest, works of necessity, and then also an opportunity to do what I would call, we, we call theologically, acts of mercy. In our passage, that's what we see Jesus doing. He deals with a man that needed healing. Now, let's face it. That wasn't an emergency, was it? It wasn't an emergency. If, if it was, even the Pharisees might have been okay with that. If Jesus would have argued, wait a minute, this was a work of necessity. It wasn't. He would have been there the next day. He was there the day before. But Jesus deliberately shows that this work of mercy is an appropriate thing to do on the Lord's day. You know, a lot of uh, Sundays, if we have someone in the hospital, I'll go straight from here to the hospital. And, um, and it's always encouraging to me. And, and I've seen this in nursing homes or uh, a funeral visitation that's on Sunday. That always strikes me. It's how appropriate when I see other church members doing that. What a good use of the Lord's day to do these works of mercy. Um, even, even showing hospitality in your community groups. Now, we, we encourage people to have simple meals so somebody's not, uh, you know, slaving in the kitchen all day long and, you know, it becomes a burden but when you reach out, when you open your home, uh, when you serve a meal to someone else, those are works of mercy. And then the sixth thing I would mention, and I love this passage so much, is that, that the, the Lord's Day, the Sabbath, is a delight. Here's what it says in Isaiah 58, verse 13. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and you call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. You see what he's saying? It's back to the idea that this is a gift of a day. And it's, it's never to be a burden. It's not about uh, what I can't do because of some law or some rule. But rather, he says, do these things that the Lord wants you to do and, and you will be blessed. Now, some of you are going to want to know what you can do on the Lord's Day. I know, I know. 
Is it right to wash the car? Is it right to play ball? Is it right to be in an athletic league, to do other work, to shop, and so on? And here's the answer. I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> because if I did, then we would all be falling in the same trap that the Pharisees fell into. And you would either do it because I, I, I said to or not do it because or rebel against me say, telling you what you can do or, you know, there, there's all kinds of <laughs> negative things uh, that could come out of that. And you know what? It's easier if I tell you. So I'm not going to let you off the hook that way. Here's, here's one of the problems I do see, though. Too often, unfortunately, I see people not even wrestling with the question. And that's all I want you to do. I, I want you to see this, this day as a wonderful gift from God and then to ask Him, to wrestle with Him. What, what ought I to be filling this with? Not just what I can't do, but instead... I see too many just letting the school or the, the coach or the dance teacher or whoever make the decision for you. And you're going to miss out if you don't wrestle with this before the Lord. Because as your pastor, I want you to see this day as a delight I want you to see the Lord's Day as a wonderful gift from God. And I want to encourage you tonight to talk about those things in your community groups. Use the framework of the principles we've just talked about. And I'm, I'm not asking you to wrestle with it because it's easy, but because I want you to have that joy, His promises. Now there's one more thing here. We've talked about healing. We've talked about the Sabbath, and it's almost like two, two separate, seemingly, sermons. But then we go right into the claims of Jesus. Look at what it says in verse 18. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath in their view, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And that's what brings healing and uh, the issues around healing and the Sabbath issues together. The healing uh, drew attention to Jesus' teaching it drew attention to the day and, and what he was showing them about the Sabbath, what he's doing, and he deliberately did it on the Sabbath. And so to the Jews, it just heightened the intensity of his claims. He's saying, I have authority to do this. And of course, that's where their issue was. It's what from a human perspective, got him killed. 
He knew who he was, and he was beginning to reveal it in ways that were shocking to the Pharisees and the religious of the day. So I want to leave you with three perspectives here. One is that Jesus still heals. He does it in his own way. He doesn't need a faith healer. He could use one if he wants. I'm not going to limit him that way either. But he doesn't need someone. He can can do it through medicine. He can do it through doctors, through surgery, or he can do it, boom, immediately by his word. He is still the healer. Secondly, he's the Lord of the Sabbath. And it is to be a special day. I want you to find the Sabbath again. If you found the Sabbath but miss the Lord of the Sabbath, that's what happened to the Pharisees. If you found the Sabbath but miss the Lord of the Sabbath, then you miss the joy of the Sabbath. But if you find the Sabbath and celebrate it not as a burden, not as a law, not doing your own thing, you will find the joy of it and it says he will cause you to ride on the heights of the land. That's blessing. And then thirdly, Jesus did not equivocate on who he is and we must not either. It would have been far safer for him to have healed the day before or the day after. But why would he, since he is the Lord of the Sabbath? His claims make it impossible to sit on the fence about Jesus. Either they're false claims and you have no need to pay attention to him, or if they are true, you cannot ignore them except to your own peril. May God grant us a view of who this Jesus really is and enable us to respond in worship to him. Let's bow together. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have given us this wonderful gift of today. Will you use it in our lives, even today, even the rest of this day? Help us to take joy in you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.